Hi, I'm Leah Wheatholter, owner of Workman Forensics, and this is the Investigation Game Podcast. What you're about to hear is part two of our Skype interview with Tiffany Couch, the CEO and founder of Acuity Forensics and the author of The Thief in Your Company. If you didn't catch part one of this interview, we recommend going back and listening to that episode first. And now, without further ado, here's part two of our interview with Tiffany Couch. So one of my favorite stories in your book, Tiffany, is the one about the bookkeeper for the school. That's probably one of my favorites. So many fun things in there. So would you mind sharing the story with our listeners and uh, tell us what went on on that one? So that one was a lawyer, a longtime lawyer client of mine called and said, you know, his wife worked at a school that about two years prior, the, the IRS showed up at the school to let the principal know that the payroll taxes weren't being paid, that they had an emergency meeting. The bookkeeper came to the emergency meeting, cried, said she was sorry she had not paid the payroll taxes, but that they had not had enough money and she needed to keep the lights on and the teachers paid and she was so sorry. And they got around her and they prayed. It was just, it's a private school, a Christian school. They prayed. I always say they did kumbaya around her, thanked her for saving the school, Uh, told her they were so sorry about all the pressures that were on her. And they proceeded to take all of the money that they had left. The parents put all this money in. A quarter of a million dollars went out the door to pay the payroll taxes and the penalties. Now we're two years on. And the reason he was calling me was because he, as a lawyer and a dad and, um, you know, a husband of a, a woman who worked there, he sued the IRS to try and get the penalties and interest back. Oh. And in the middle of that lawsuit, there were depositions. And during the deposition of the bookkeeper, and he's sitting there representing the school and the bookkeeper, ostensibly. He caught her in a lie. He caught her lying in her deposition where the IRS is deposing her. IRS didn't catch it. He did. And he called and he said, I just don't feel right about this. Mm-hmm. And I go, yeah, I don't either. I said, what the world, you know, why wouldn't you have called me two years ago? So I said, just send me the bank statements and cancel checks. Just send them to me. I'll never forget that day UPS shows up and we get this enormous box. And I had asked for the bank statement to cancel checks for two years ago, right? And I'm thinking, this is a small private school. Why do I have this huge box? They had like 13 bank accounts. Okay. Oh my. Big red flag. Yeah. I just just started, I parsed them all out. I sat on the floor and put them all together and figured out what account was what. And I just picked one up. And I mean, I'm not even 45 minutes out from the UPS man leaving. And I call the lawyer and I said, do you guys have an ATM that you're using and getting cash every Friday? And I'm writing checks to herself like crazy. And so within just a couple of hours of time, I was up to like 40,000 of dollars that she was writing to herself or ATM. Oh my goodness. And so it was just crazy. Right. So the best part of the story is really was a, almost a major mistake of mine. And I always teach this because we have to learn from mistakes. And I was so proud of myself for figuring out the dis- cash disbursement fraud. Right. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. writing checks to herself using the ATM. Easy peasy. I'm such a great fraud examiner. Oh, no. <laughs> so I go to the school And I'm sitting there giving them documents and they're giving me documents. And the front desk lady says, Miss Couch, Miss Couch, I have this $800. And she had $800 cash in her hand. And she goes, 
I don't know how to post this money to the QuickBooks for this student's tuition. And I'm like, I'm great at that. I'm great at QuickBooks. Let me teach you how to make a deposit. So she has this $800 cash. And I said, what's the student's name? I type in the student's name, not in QuickBooks. And I said, well, what's the parent's name? Type in the parent's name, not in QuickBooks. And I go, oh, must be a new student. By the way, it was May, right? How many oh, new yeah. students come to school? In right. Day, right. But I said, oh, it's, it must be a new student. We'll get them set up. Let me show you how to set up a new customer. And she is just looking at me and her head's cocked all the way to the side. And I just looked at her and I go, he's not a new student. She goes, no, no. he's an yeah. grader, and he's been here every year. And I said, and let me guess, his parents pay cash every time. And she oh, said, my. yes. Oh my gosh. And I went over to the QuickBooks audit trail, found all of these deleted receipts and deposits. And uh, that woman went to jail for cash skimming of about 250,000 plus the oh cash disbursement gosh. scheme. She had done it before. Just a crazy thing, you know. Anytime you have somebody managing on manage you, they're able to take those IRS notices. The IRS sends notices for years. The idea right. that an IRS agent would show up, that is crazy because that, that just goes to show you how long you haven't not only not paid your payroll taxes, <laughs> right. but ignore all of those notices. Right. Like that, like a notice is serious, but like somebody showing up, I mean, it's more than just like, oh, we just couldn't pay our bills. Like you have a major problem. <laughs> you have a totally major problem. So right. that story was, a that's another great one in so many reasons. And it was, a, again, early in my career, but it reminds you that when you get so focused on the one fraud, you've got to come back out of your rabbit hole and yeah. say, what other things did this person have access to? And could they be perpetrating another scheme? Because more often than not, as you probably well know, there's multiple schemes going on all at once. Especially because she had been there a long time, right? Yeah, like eight I mean, years. Yeah. They and, uh, oh, and, and here's the other thing. I had messages after messages after messages on my phone of people calling me, telling me, how dare you? She's so wonderful. This is a oh. witch hunt. They're calling me names. I mean, it was, it was crazy. That's how much people loved her in that school community. Yeah, my jaw kind of dropped when I reread that the other day. And I, I had, you know, forgotten about that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't think that's ever happened to me. I mean, that's like yeah. pretty tight knit and wow. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how I would have handled that. You just keep going. You don't answer the phone. Yeah, just yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> no. Right. Um, what did she spend the money on? Well, it was due to crap. Oh, it was just junk. It was she a shopping a shopaholic? Just shopping, shopping yeah. clothes for the daughter, toys for the daughter. Yeah. Your nail. I mean, just crap. Yeah, I call those the mom of the year cases. Yeah. Oh. yeah. yeah. That's yeah. a great analogy. Yeah. Mom of the year. So here in Oklahoma, we just have so many casinos that a lot of times people yeah. assume they're gambling at a casino, but the number one way people spend money on the cases I've worked is just shopping. Guys shopping. and like men and women alike, just shopping. Right. Me too. It's just having stuff. Decorating the houses, you know. So in chapter four of your book, you talk about three primary kind of most common areas that people steal money. Do you want to kind of summarize those for us? Chapter four is really the chapter about cash disbursement schemes. Cash disbursement schemes, it's like 78% of all frauds 
our money our clients have in the bank or available to them via credit card and somebody's just using for their personal benefit okay mm -hmm. one of the first ones i talk about is expense reimbursements expense reimbursements i always call the low-hanging fruit right yeah. whether somebody's getting reimbursed or they're using the company credit card we have to look there okay we have to yeah. look at the reimbursements we have to look at the receipts do things match is a receipt been provided usually those frauds are small i also call them sort of the entry frauds if somebody's doing that then i want to see what else they're doing my second favorite case though is an expense reimbursements case where the guy that's going to be the next ceo of a publicly traded company took 1.4 million dollars oh my gosh reimbursement scheme we yeah, that one is never ignore those, right yeah the second is just a billing scheme. And, and really what that means is I'm either perpetrating a, I basically have a fake vendor that's mm -hmm. really me and I'm writing checks to it, or I'm just writing checks to myself through the accounts payable system. And I am hiding the way it looks in the accounting system. I never rely on an accounting system ever. Ever. We don't either. <laughs> yeah, that's so many folks just get so wrapped up in the accounting system. And I'm thinking that is fake until which yes. time you can prove to me that it's real. And the way right. we prove it's real is guess what? Bank statements, cancel checks, deposit. You're the best, Tiffany. <laughs> like, I agree. Exactly. And then the third is just payroll. I'm doing, I just sent a guy a report yesterday where all this woman, was basically taking advances on her payroll check and not paying them back or having a payroll. And the second scheme that she had was that her pay stub would say one thing, but the amount that she direct deposited was mm -hmm. much more than that. Just yeah. simple. Uh, again, that would have been shown up through a bank's reconciliation, through payroll reports, et cetera, but he didn't look. And right. so chapter four is first you have to look because most fraud is plain as day right on a bank right statement, there. a credit card statement, or a payroll report. Going back up to the expense reimbursements, I'm curious, have you or any of your clients used any software that's supposed to help catch some of that expense reimbursement fraud? I have some big clients who, who do use that, some of those systems to yeah. know, prevent it or at least try and find it. And it, it works fairly well for them. But, you know, one of these clients is a large casino in, in Las Vegas, Nevada, right? Mm -hmm. So you can only imagine how much data is coming into yeah. there, how helpful a system like that would be. I've seen other systems like through some of the bigger banks where you can do their expense reimbursements through there. And if you have that many employees and that many reimbursements, I do think it's helpful but just like the big casino, guess what they do? They do random samples or they pick the anomalies sure. and they look. They yep. look and make sure those receipts match. They look at the items and make sure, you know, it's not like the CEO who put in the pink toy for his daughter as breakfast on his bench cream. <laughs> right, right. Even though I have clients using those systems, they're doing the spot checks. Yeah. So then one question on the billing schemes is that in Oklahoma, it costs $100 to set up an LLC. $25 for a trade name. So I'm curious in Washington, is it similar? I mean, so to set up a shell company is super easy in Oklahoma if it's only a hundred bucks because they're oh, going to steal right. a lot more than a hundred dollars. No, I think a hundred dollars is high. I think it's like oh, 50 really? bucks here. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Gosh. Oh, yeah. I don't wow. even know if it's that. It's been so long since I've set mine up. I, I, I want to say yeah. it's no more than 50 bucks. 
Yeah. So then you can end up with all kinds of bank accounts and shell companies and put them through. And and anyway. let's explain why. If I want to, if I want to write checks to myself, it's going to be really hard because everybody's going to know who I am and that's right. going to raise a red flag, right? So the reason folks want to set that up is obviously they want to hide who the beneficiary is, but you can't take a check written to a company to a bank that's in your name, right? And the bank is going to require you to have all of these formation documents to open that bank account. And so there's a few extra steps, but let's face it, it's relatively easy. Yeah, it's it's real easy. I don't know if you've seen our post on LinkedIn about our new game training called the Investigation Game, but it's based on a case that we worked yeah. and he set up so many shell companies and it's a card game. Through playing this game, the people that are playing it can actually see how the companies were set up and how he disguised it. And that guy actually made it where the registered agent was the name of the LLC. So if we searched for Tiffany Couch, it wouldn't have pulled any of the LLCs yeah. up except for the legit one because the registered agent was the company. So the only way to know that was to identify some vendors in their system, actually go through all their vendors, go pull the LLC records, and then see that it had his personal home address. But there was no way to search that on Secretary of State. That is so interesting. So how did his fraud get uncovered initially? The CFO was retiring. He was not the CFO, but he did a lot in the accounting system. He hired one of his best friends to be the new CFO. And the, C the new CFO is very good. And I've known him for several years now. And he starts looking at these things and he sees these companies and he says, I think that these are Bob's companies. Like, cause he had gone to different events with him that were under those, you know, and Bob's so proud of all these companies he owns and stuff like amongst his friends. And then he brings his friend into the business where he's actually stealing all this money. So that's how that was uncovered. Ego. Yeah. Ego. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we actually call that one the case of the man cave because he loved to <laughs> shop and he just stocked up his man cave. Well, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back to my interview with Tiffany Couch right after this. So Andy, you just completed the investigation game case of the man cave. What'd you think? I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, all the different options you could take and the different routes you could take and how the cards led you from one card to the next um, was, was a lot of fun. It was actually, uh, it was not what I expected and it was more, uh, it was very well put together. Um, everything from like the card decks to the envelopes, like it was very professional. My favorite part of the game was how interactive it was and it was kind of choose your own adventure type situation where you pick the path you went down and then it would tell you if you wasted time here or if you had the right answer. I would recommend the investigation game to my coworkers uh, because it was a good team activity and I think it would uh, be fun in like an accounting environment um, just to kind of work together as a team and be collaborative. It would be, you know, great for recruiting or even just like company events, um, you know, like team building exercises or even taking like a client to, um, a good way to just kind of build those relationships. To learn more or to register, visit investigationgame.com. All right, and we're back with Tiffany Couch. All of my new hires have to read your book whenever they start. That, that is a requirement. And whenever you spoke at our local chapter of the ACFE, I was the president of that chapter then or some of that. I was in charge of the training somehow. I, I remember. Think anyway, you were the, yeah, you were something. I was something. Anyway, I just remember I had brought several of my team members and I'm thinking, I don't know. I always just get nervous whenever I'm in charge of bringing the speaker, obviously. And you started talking about show me the money and I just could relax. And I'm like, good, 
team, you can hear that I'm not crazy. You need to listen to Tiffany. Anyway, so there's a whole chapter in your book about show me the money. Can you talk about why that's so important? You said it really well in your email yesterday. Oh. <laughs> How are people going to benefit from their employment, right? They can steal our time. That's true. They can yeah. be on Facebook all day. All right. They can drive the company car to the beach, or at least here they could drive to the beach. Maybe in Oklahoma, they drive somewhere else, right? So yeah. that, that happens, right? But really, how are people benefiting? They're benefiting because they've got money, money that they are stealing. It's tangible. It can be easily converted. And so I think one of the biggest misnomers in our industry is that people are looking at accounting systems and journal entries. And yes, sometimes those are cover-ups yes, for the actual fraud. Mm -hmm. But I always say, show me the money because the money is what people are using to benefit themselves. And there's really only a couple ways to do it. I take it before it comes in, right? I take it mm -hmm. before it can be deposited or it gets deposited and I'm using it to benefit myself by writing checks or doing some of those things we've already talked about. So if I know money's coming in, whether it's cash or checks or even credit card, I have a case uh, here recently where the guy said, oh, your merchant system is so terrible. Let's, let's go to Square. I'll get you all set up on Square. And now all of the credit card payments of her patients were going to his bank account. Yeah. Right? So it's money coming in. Is it making it to my bank? That's question number one. And is the money in my bank, is it only being used for my business? That's question number two. If we answer those two questions, we've got 90% of the risk in most business handled right yeah. there. Yes, there could be financial statement fraud. Yes, there can be corruption and collusion. Those are much more rare occurrences and there are gonna be harder to catch, but 90%, 90% are in those two questions. Yeah, I agree. I think I think what I said in the email yesterday too is what I tell everybody, <laughs> a journal entry doesn't cash at the casino. You have yeah. to have cash at the casino. To, it's interesting. You know. I forgot you guys have a lot of uh, uh, reservations there in Oklahoma too. Mm -hmm. So you've got the casinos and we have that here too. We, we, we just got a new one and my husband and I went and I'm not a casino person, uh, but we went just for the night and I sat there looking around and I went, I wonder how many of these people I'll be investigating in the future. Isn't that terrible? Mm -hmm. I, I actually thought years ago when I first started my business, I wondered if you could almost find cases by working backwards, by identifying yeah. the people at the casinos and exactly. then going to their employer. It's like not a, it's not, I, I hate to say it, but gosh dang it, right? It mm -hmm. does become something in their minds that they need to do. And when they run out of money, guess what happens, right? Right. They they're come to our using. Yep. Yeah. They're going to start using the business money. And then... Gosh, the other common misconception on cases, especially with clients, and I think even whenever my team's made up of lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds and experience, but the common misconception that an audit finds fraud. You exactly. want to talk a little bit about that misconception? Sure. So only 4% of frauds, 4% 4 of frauds were found by financial statement auditors. But the number one anti-fraud control businesses have is that they have auditors come in every year and give them a clean bill of health. Yep. And so, in fact, I don't know how it works for you. A lot of times when my phone rings here, people will call and say, I think I need an audit, right? Yep, that's what they say. And so the question I ask is, 
do you need a financial statement on it for your bank or for your investors? Or do you really have a stomachache that you've had it for about 18 months and oh, you I really like need me to make sure that things are going on? And they're like, yeah, how did you know? I Something's not quite right. Yeah. And so, so it's just that common misconception that an auditor looks at everything, that they mm -hmm. find everything. And so one of the biggest, especially when I'm in front of an industry group, one of the biggest things I teach about is why an audit doesn't find fraud. And, and it's not because the auditors are bad. It's because no, an audit's job is to make sure that the financial statements are not materially misstated. And so when a financial statement auditor is doing that, there's a couple of things they're doing. Number one, they're looking at materiality. And that's the number that says, if this financial statement is off by this amount or more, an investor or a banker or somebody would make a different decision about those numbers. Right. Well, materiality is up here. Guess where fraud is? It's down here. Second thing auditors do is they take a random sample of transactions in order to understand whether processes and procedures are working well and that sort of thing. Well, guess what? You're not going to find fraud through a random sample and the chance yeah. that you are is low. And then if you do, if you happen to pick that transaction, guess what? More likely than not, the fraudster is the one that's going to be dealing with you in the audit. And he's, <laughs> right. he or she's going to say, oh, I can't find those documents or something, or there's going to be a plausible explanation. And the auditor is going to check the box and move along. And we could get into all sorts of other issues in terms sure, of resources sure. and time that auditors have. But those are the two things. And so you know, a forensic accounting engagement is much different than an audit. In fact, I'm going to look at way more than an yes. auditor is ever going to look at in order to figure out what's really going on. Right. The ACFE's report to the nation says that only five, like 5% 5 of a company's gross revenue is lost due to fraud every year. Just 5%. It's crazy. 5%. So an audit's never going to look at that 5%. Right. I mean- maybe a random chance it gets into their sample somehow. But, and then the other thing I've noticed about schools get audits all the time or credit unions or banks. And so a lot of times they'll say, the auditors never told me, but then whenever I actually go look at the findings, it was kind of there. It was, but, you know, and sometimes it is. And sometimes we, the auditors don't know how to communicate it. Sometimes the client doesn't know how to absorb the information. Yeah. And yeah. there just seems to be this crossing in the wind that gosh dang it things get go on too long longer than they have to yes absolutely i agree that so usually at the end of discussing this many cases and problems and things like that especially some of the members on my team especially my new creative team they're like oh my gosh all of these things like you know the yeah. some ghost is like out to get me like everybody's out to get me and so it causes a lot of people to freak out or panic that people could be stealing from me and tons of different ways. And I don't even know what are some of the things that you tell those types of people to kind of, cause it's really not, there's not an infinite number of ways to steal money. There really is not an infinite number of ways. And you don't have to be this paranoid person now because it happened to you or because now you've heard about this topic. Just know how much money comes into your business every month or every year, just really every month. And did mm -hmm. it make it to the bank? Okay. Check that box. Is somebody looking at the bank statements and cancel checks? Check that box. Yep. Are you looking at your credit card statements and payroll reports? Check that box. Guess what that takes for most businesses every single month? About an hour or less yep. to do all of those three boxes, right? Mm -hmm. 
And so, oh my gosh, now you can manage it. You can have your uh, people doing what they need to do, hopefully with some reasonable internal controls. Everybody knows you're checking. Again, I always I liken it to when my kids were little, and even though they're big now, it, it still sort of happens. Our kids are going to get in trouble when we're not looking, right? Yeah. And yeah. so folks know we're not looking. They're going to be more apt to maybe put their hands in the cookie jar. And so I always say, have that air and, and have everybody know you're looking and asking questions, okay? And then do the actual looking and your risk is really going to go down. Your confidence is going to go up. And I, I really think it makes a more cohesive team. Yes, I would agree with that for sure. And yeah. especially since ACFE, again, says at the you know, median life of a scheme is 18 months. Correct. Well, so I can't keep everyone in the world from stealing from me, but I can, I can manage the life of that scheme by looking at those things that you just talked about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Tiffany, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. And so one thing, just before we go, would you just let listeners know where they can connect with you and where they can buy your book? Oh, sure. So you can connect with me on social media. I'm on all of the uh, the LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram at the Tiffany Couch. Oh, Twitter too. My okay. website is acuityforensics.com and my book is The Thief in Your Company and you can get it on Amazon and all of the other online retailers. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I love your book and it's a super easy read, which I really <laughs> think lots of business owners can appreciate. And so make sure to check that out. Thanks again, Tiffany. Thank you so much for having me on. Love what you're doing over there. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To get updates on future podcast events and resources, please subscribe to our podcast, our YouTube channel, and follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.